the tomb is empty. Man, hear me, our God is alive. He went to the cross, he died for you and for me, and he rose again from the dead. Well, man, we're here today one week after Easter, and our job here as we get together is to not forget where we've come from and make sure we've got a goal on where we're headed to. And, and as we head into this next week or two or three here in this series, it's called Take Hold. Take hold. Like the women last week as we looked uh, in the story uh, of Jesus' resurrection, when they fell down at Jesus' feet and they grabbed around him, it says they took hold of his feet and they worshiped. Take hold. Man, that's what we're going after. And so last week we talked all about what it looks like to celebrate that he is alive, the resurrection and the power of it. And what we're going to do today is we're going to back up just a couple of days now. We're going back to the crucifixion moment. We're going to take a focused look at some of what Jesus Christ has already done for us at the cross. What we have in him and how we can worship him and how we can take hold of him in light of what he did at the cross. So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45 there. Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. And we're going to talk about what it is to worship a God and take hold of a God who makes the way for us. He makes a way. So here we go. Point number one, thank. Thank Jesus who carried our sin in great agony. Thank Jesus who carried our sin in great agony. May we worship him. May we thank him. May we appreciate him for all he's done. And so here we go. Let's dive in. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. We'll just hold right there. It says, now about the sixth hour, that's like noon, all right? They started counting their hours right at sunrise. So about 6 a.m. and then you add the six hours to it. So around about noon, this is what started to happen. So about noon, there was darkness over the whole land. Now picture noon, right? Typically pretty bright out, pretty sunny out, right? Even if there's clouds that have rolled in, still really bright. And instead there is like complete darkness that rolls in. Some have said maybe this is an eclipse that took place. And, uh, and that would make a lot of sense, really. Uh, God said that he gave the sun and the moon and the stars as a basically a time schedule to be able to show off what he was going to be doing across the time of God's plan. And so it could be that this was an eclipse of some sort to be able to show God's appointed time. could be it was just super dark black weather. Either way, whatever it is, you have creation declaring out something massive is taking place right now. And uh, what is taking place? What's going on? Don't forget where we're at. This is Matthew 27. This is Jesus has just gone to the cross. The God who has come down into this world, him for me. Everybody just say him for me. I didn't know you missed the uptake. Everybody just say him for me, right? Him for me. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, come down into this world. He lived it perfectly. He taught stunningly. He touched and people were healed. He declared and people stood up, risen from the dead. Amazing stuff going on with him as absolute perfection. No sin. Everybody say no sin. Right, don't miss that. 
Jesus Christ, God Almighty, no sin here on this earth doing amazing miracle, and yet man rebelled against, grabbed him, beat him, mocked him, whipped him, and ended up taking him to the cross and nailing his hands and his feet to the cross. Brutal, brutal mistreatment. But God has a plan. He knows exactly what's going on. In fact, back in the book of Mark, we see that he actually went to the cross about 9 a.m., the third hour. And so Jesus has been on the cross for about three hours now when it says that at the sixth hour, noon, darkness came over the whole land. The whole place went black, whether from an eclipse or from weather, as Jesus is hanging in agony on that cross for three hours, wrestling and gasping for breath, striving to be able to take on the goal that the Father has sent him for. He is there to take the sin of all of the world on him. And a huge deal, him for me. And it says there was darkness over all the land. Just so we're clear, darkness in Scripture usually implies some form of judgment at hand. And the judgment is taking place. Here's the catch. That judgment should be hitting me. And it should be hitting you in our sinfulness. And instead, Jesus Christ is saying, let that judgment now hit me. And the perfect one is paying for us as the darkness rolls in. Round about noon, the sixth hour, it said all the way until the ninth hour. For three hours, he was carrying the weight of the sin of me and the sin of you. All of us who are trusting in him, he is carrying our sin into forgiveness. Then it says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. With as loud a voice as he could muster up. He cried out in a loud voice and he, they even record here in the foreign language. He says, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani. It means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine what's happening as Jesus hanging on the cross, gasping for air. As he's there knowing the plan. And in that moment, as the darkness rolled in at noon for the next three hours, him carrying the punishment and the weight of the wrath of the Father on him for us. And part of that included some level of separation that many have wrestled to try to explain theologically. But there is some distancing, some grief, grievous hurt that Jesus has to take on. And as he gets towards that third hour in the darkness on the cross, he cries out to his God, gasping for breath to the Father. And I can't even imagine what it sounded like, but it wasn't really crisp and clear. It wasn't, lay me, lay me. It's not that. He could barely breathe. And as he's hanging on the cross and he tried to get the air to come out, it was, lay, lay me. That's what it sounded like. They were wrestling to hear what he was really saying and they weren't hearing him enunciate and it wasn't quite clear as he cried it out. Just so we're clear, Eli, El means God, E means my. So when he says Eli, he's saying my God. We're going to find out in just a second. There's a little bit of problem with the interpretation. It says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, 
the man is calling out for Elijah. Where did they get that from? Well, just so we're clear, my God sounds like this, Eli. Elijah sounds like this, Eliah. Can you hear the confusion, right? And so they started to think he's crying out for Elijah, this prophet from the past that was living such a life with God that there was chariots that came down, picked him up and took him away, recorded that he did not die. And many of the Jews expecting Elijah to return somehow to do something. Maybe this is the moment. Let's see. But they're not there trusting in Jesus. They're not there hoping in God. They're there looking for a spectacle. And it says some of the bystanders thought that he was crying out for Elijah. One of them, it says, at once, like immediately, at once, ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Now, if you're thinking that this guy was like, wow, I should do something merciful for him. He sounds like he's really struggling. Let me get him something to drink. You're missing what's going on. He ran at once to do it because they were struggling to understand what he was saying. And as he said, Eli, and they thought maybe he said, Eliah, they were wondering, maybe they called out Elijah, I'm going to fix this problem. So he ran and he got a sponge with sour wine and water mixed together. Why? Because with the parched air and the heavy dust and the breathing roughly through the throat, everything would get so parched that when you put the sour wine down, it would actually coat the throat and it would coat the, the uh, vocal cords so you could hear them a little better. They were literally like, dude, I can't hear them. Clear his throat a little bit so we can understand him better. It was a self-absorbed moment of trying to be able to get his throat a little clear. It wasn't really a big move of mercy. And others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah comes to save him. They're like, don't even get that. Let's just see if Elijah is really going to come down. Some were there for the spectacle. Some were there to try to hear a little more clearly. And uh, here's the sad thing, man. There's someone missing. Where are the disciples who believe in Jesus Christ? And Jesus said, I'm going to die three days later. I'm going to rise from the dead. Why aren't they standing right beside the cross saying, you bring this. I'm telling you three days later, he's rising. This is my God and my King. Where are they? Things aren't going the way they expected. Have you ever noticed how when our expectations get dashed, we hide. We run in fear. We start to work things out and we start to try to take control and self-protect and that's where they are. They're off hiding right now. It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. He yielded up his spirit. He gave his life willingly all the way to the end. Him for me. Man, don't miss this. Our God on the cross. And we just celebrated, you know, last week at Easter, we just celebrated this resurrection three days later. It is so awesome to be able to celebrate that he is alive with power and authority. Man, we need to grasp what was happening also though on the cross three days earlier. He was dying for my sin. He was covering what I would owe. It says, and he cried out with one last loud voice, whatever somebody who's been whipped to within an inch of their life, mocked ridiculously, hung in the sun, can barely breathe, crying out 
with one last voice. We know from another passage of scripture that there was a crying out of, it is finished along this journey here too. We heard that in the worship song here for the offertory. And man, our God declared it is finished. He was coming with a purpose to pay for you and for me. Praise God. In agony, he paid for what we would owe. And in expectation lost, the disciples were nowhere to be found. Horrific, if you will. It's so easy for us in the middle of our confusion. Really, you look at this COVID virus right now, right? In the middle of this confusion to start locking down on fears we may have or expectations that aren't being met and we stop worshiping and trusting our God. Man, may we hang in there and thank him with all we've got. Ready? And all of God's people said, amen, man, amen. You know, I was looking for an illustrate this past week and this, this illustrate that I found rather poignant. 1988, there was a Polish railway worker he was working on the railroad stations and a tragedy happened. A train, he, for, I don't even know how it happened, but somehow a train hit him and it took, almost took his life. It put him into a coma and he was out. It was a tragic, horrible, suffering moment. This is 1988. Now, for those of you who were around back then, you may be able to remember, but there was a lot of change going on with communism then, right? We had the the wall coming down in Berlin, and we had so many different things happening in different places, and Poland was going through a ton of change as well. And they were moving from this communistic regime and, and a lot of socialism going on in it to moving to a little bit more capitalistic environment in 1988. And so this man, he went into a coma while society continued on and politics were cleaning up and people were getting opportunities. I don't know if you remember the 90s, but that's when the cell phones started coming out, right? And, and in tons, like I was a telecom engineer back in the 90s, man, that changed our world a lot. And the 90s brought a ton of opportunity for cell phones. And so people were buying those and with them all over the place. 19 years later, this Polish worker came out of the coma. 19 years later. Can you imagine the changes? It's the early 2000s. And as he is able to get up and literally walk around and move, as he goes about the society and he sees the politics are all different, the freedoms are all over the place, the capitalism is moving, everybody's got cell phones. And they asked him, what do you think? And he said, the most sad thing I can tell you is there is more complaining right now than there ever was before. Don't they realize what they have? It's so sad what they're missing. We had nothing before. We had no freedoms. We were wrestling and struggling. Look at what they have now and all they're doing is complaining on their cell phones. In fact, this was his quote. He says, I've realized one thing. If you do not get into the habit of being grateful to God for what you do have, you will become ungrateful because of what you don't have. You'll become ungrateful for what you don't have unless you practice being grateful for what you do have. He was like, all the things I've noticed is these guys have just gotten so locked into what's the next thing, the expectation and the hope of tomorrow, and they're starting to become giant complainers. The thankfulness is collapsing. Man, may we not be that with our God. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Simple question. How are you doing at being thankful daily, 
regularly for what God is doing in your life, for the opportunities you have. I know there's things that may be going wrong, man. This is a horrible time and there's a lot of people that are struggling, whether it be loss of job or sicknesses or loved ones who are sick, whatever it might be, just the uncertainties. But know this, we have things we can be thankful for to our God. And all of God's people said, and don't miss it. Be thanking your God with all you've got. It's a great way to take hold. There's a huge piece missing as Christ went to the cross and nobody grasped what they were getting. And instead they were hiding and running. May we be thankful. That's point number one. Point number two, may we come personally and may we interact directly with the God of life and hope. May we come personally and interact directly with the God of life and hope. Starts out here, it says, and behold, right? And every time we see the word behold, we say, right? Check it out, right? And behold, check it out. The word literally means look at this and observe it, right? Check it out. Behold, it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The, tur- the curtain of the temple was torn. Let's make sure we understand what we're talking about with that. We're talking about the uh, Old Testament temple that was sitting in Jerusalem. This massive temple that was built according to Old Testament uh, law and statement of size and all of that. They built the temple. That temple had to be 30 feet high. I'm putting it into our understanding, right? Not cubits and all that, right? 30 feet high, 30 feet wide was the temple entering into the Holy of Holies. 30 feet high. And in the Holy of Holies was the glory of God, the Shekinah glory that beamed forth. Man, I'm just telling you, there's something special about being in old city Jerusalem, even without the Shekinah glory being present in the temple. But man, that temple literally having the Shekinah glory of God beaming forth. And here's the deal. It was before Jesus had gone to the cross. No man could see the glory of God in any way, shape, or form without it taking their life unless they prepared massively. And so the high priest would go through this huge cleansing ritual for days ahead of time and once per year would open that curtain of the temple and slide inside and let the curtain close behind. And he would there worship the God of the universe with the glory of God basking on him for just a moments of time. He would sacrifice for all of the people in their sin. He alone could enter into the presence of God. He alone. The rest would cry out to God from a little bit of a distance, but he could experience the very presence of God for a short period of time. And then he would exit again and that curtain would close down. Shekinah glory of God staying there. God only letting his manifest presence be known there. That curtain that stood 30 feet tall, top to bottom, 30 feet wide, some four to six inches thick. Can you imagine that big, heavy curtain And that curtain that they opened once per year to get access to God, as Jesus Christ cried out and yielded his spirit. Hear me, man. It says, check it out. The curtain tore from top to bottom. Not bottom to top like man entering in. Top to bottom. God opening up access for you and for me. Hear me on this. When Jesus Christ took our sin on the cross and died breathing his last, we gained access. Personal, daily, regular, very present with my God 
access. Man, may we live that out. May we come close to our God and worship him. We're told in scripture that as we take Christ as our savior and believe, as we ask for him to save us, as we believe he has risen from the dead, confess him as Lord, you're in charge. It says the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence, the presence of the glory of God in and with me, right there with you. Man, we are not alone. The access to the Almighty has been opened by Jesus at the cross. And this curtain was torn from top to bottom, praise God. Man, Hebrews 4.15 says that we can now draw near because we have a high priest who entered ahead of us, Jesus Christ, and he entered in. And if you will, from the bottom, opening up, coming inside to the glory of God, and as he gave his life, the curtain tore from top to bottom once and for all. Imagine being some of the Pharisees who were hanging out in the temple, didn't want to have anything to do with that Jesus that was getting crucified. Imagine them being there and they don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden this darkness comes over the whole land for like three hours. They had to be talking it out. What does this mean? What's going on? This is usually a sign of some kind of judgment. And they're talking in and around the temple. All of a sudden as Jesus Christ is last, the curtain goes and rips from top to bottom. All of a sudden you look and you're shaken to the core that the thing that is keeping you protected from the glory of God is torn open. You are now exposed to the grandeur of the glory of God. This could kill you immediately. And it says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. I'm just telling you, this was a, then a thunderous earthquake. Not only did the curtain get torn, but then everything started moving. Imagine you're one of those Pharisees who wanted nothing to do with Christ and didn't believe any of it. And now there is this thunderous earthquake and the rocks are shifting and the temple is moving and shifting and the curtain is torn and things that are set up inside are toppling over and a declaration was being made that a massive payment had been made him for me. Praise be to God. It says the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened. I'm just saying if I was walking by a tomb and then an earthquake hit and all of a sudden everything is shifting and you bear, you're grabbing ground, whatever you're doing until it's done. And when it's done, you're looking over and whole stones are falling away and tombs are opening up. That's not the thing I want to hang around for. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not really wanting to look in. I'm not wanting to see what's going on. I'm certainly not wanting to be around a fresh grave and who knows what kind of odors are around. And like, I'm thinking I want to get out. And then all of a sudden it says, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Can you imagine if you happen to be on a little stroll through an area where there was some garden tombs and all of a sudden these tombs are opening up, they're collapsed and the stone is gone and now all of a sudden a guy walks out and starts talking to you or others. Literally it says that at the death of Jesus Christ at the cross there was a thunderous earthquake. Remember last week? With the Easter service, there was a thunderous earthquake, right? So there was one on Good Friday and there was another that came on Easter Sunday. Two earthquakes back to back, bookending to declare the grandeur and the greatness and the judgment and the authority and the provision of our God. And these thunderous earthquakes doing a huge thing. The first earthquake 
brought people raised to life. It says saints, those who believed in God, those who trusted and counted on him, those who grasped that there was a hope of a Messiah coming but didn't quite understand who Jesus was yet, but they were believing God and it was counted to them for righteousness. Man, those were saved. They were raised up. They literally walked out of the tomb alive. It says then, not only did they walk out alive, it says, and coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and they appeared to many. They went into Jerusalem and they walked the streets and they talked with people. There was a moment after this three hours of darkness and the thunderous earthquake and the curtain is torn and the tombs are open and they come out. They're talking to some people in Jerusalem. There's a point where they had to go home, right? Can you imagine being at your house? Maybe there's somebody who had just passed away in the last couple of days or weeks, months. Doesn't even say how long back. Maybe it was even a year or two or more. And somebody knocks on your door and you go over and you open the door and there's somebody that looks strikingly like your father standing in front of you. And you're like, who are you? It would have to creep you out a little, wouldn't it? There's no way the first thing you think is, I'll bet you were raised from the dead. There's no way. And you're like, who are you? What's going on? And the father is like, I'm back. Can you believe this? Raised from the dead, the God of the universe, he brings life. And Jesus Christ, he is Messiah King and I am raised because of him. Can you imagine the celebration in that home over the death of Jesus Christ and the life that is given to these and how much more than when Jesus was raised from the dead three days later at Easter. Man, I'm telling you, Jerusalem was abuzz with this statement. There is life in this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen, man, may we draw near to the one who brings life. Last week for Easter, we had an awesome celebration as we uh, made much of Jesus and his resurrection and him alive, right? That was our big celebration. And, and uh, here's what I love at the end of this as we were going through the, man, the call to believe in point number two, do you believe? And we had so many just t chatting on the side of the tool. I believe, I believe, I'm in, our family is in, we believe. Man, I'm telling you, God's stirring in that moment. And as we got to the third point and we went to a call to salvation, I love this moment. We had so many across the three services at 9, 11, and 4.30 that responded. There was an opportunity to click a little button to say, I'm raising my hand and letting you know I'm in. I'm committing to Christ for the first time. We had 67 people throughout last week, Easter, who accepted Jesus Christ as Savior that were connected to Summit Point Church. Man, praise God for that. 67 people. I'm just telling you, when we launched the building that we have as our facility, I'll call it that instead of a church, because we as the body are the church, and all of God's people said, right? And so our facility, we opened it in 2012. We had 47 except Christ that day. What an awesome launch Sunday. This was 67 as we launched Easter online, and God has a plan. God has a plan, man. I loved this. I wanted to write a couple of notes down here. We use a tool um, that you're seeing there, the software tool that we use to be able to view these videos in. And, and uh, this online church platform put a couple of numbers out. Check these numbers out. For last week Easter, there was over 31,000 church services that ran Friday to Sunday on that tool, on that platform that we're using. 
over 31,000. There were 9.7 million viewers that were watching and in celebrating that Jesus Christ is risen. Not just our service, but watching all these 31,000. 9.7 million people watching these 31,000 plus services and over 67,000 people came to trust Christ last week alone. Man, please hear me. This COVID virus, it may be anything from annoying to absolutely devastating in your home, and I get that. But know this, God is waking us up to who he is and our need for him, and he is calling people home. And all of God's people said, amen, man. So here's the battle cry. Are you willing to come? I mean, to hand your life to him and worship him, to enter into the presence of the king of the universe, to draw near and worship him. And taking time daily to be thanking him, to be praising him, recognizing that if you believe he has risen from the dead, if you believe that he is risen, he's alive. And if you confess him as Lord, like you're in charge of my life, you take over. Scripture says you are saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, and you have the glory of God with you. The temple curtain is torn, and you can experience that. Man, as you walk through today, celebrate this. I have a God who is right here with me, and I have access to all of his glory and power and privilege. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, Amen, man, that's taking hold. May we be thankful. May we come near. And now, point number three, uh, be in awe of the Son of God. Be in awe of the Son of God. uh, It says here, when the centurion, that's the guy who was actually supposedly watching over this cross and Jesus as he was dying, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, They were filled with awe. They were filled with awe. When they saw the darkness for three hours, when they heard the thundering rumble of the earthquake, when they saw all of this come together right as Christ gasped his last. Can you imagine how that went down? Jesus on the cross, pitch black. He's cried out a couple of words already, calling out to his God. And as he yields his spirit last, however that sounded with the... And in that moment, immediate timed earthquake. And the centurion went, whoa, this is definitely all tied together. It says he's in awe in the ESV. Just so you know, the original language word there has the word phobos. Can you hear it? Phobia. It has the word fear attached to it. Fear and awe, wonder, stunned with the greatness of who this one is, stunned with the power and authority that comes with this one, stunned with how creation is responding to the death of this one. He's in awe. And it says, truly this was the son of God. Truly this was the son of God. The centurion starts declaring the truth about who he is. Son of God, right? He only got one thing wrong. Wrong verb, man. Truly this was the Son of God. Truly this is the Son of God. And he ended the Son of God's existence with that physical moment. But that is not the biblical truth. And three days later, Jesus Christ would rise with glorified body for absolute authority and power for all of eternity. And we 
have hope. This is the Son of God. Everybody just say that right where you are. Say it loud, say it big. This is the Son of God. Man, don't miss it. That's who Jesus Christ is. The Son of God, our hope. The Lamb of God who died for us and brought us sweet, sweet forgiveness. It says they were filled with awe and the centurion cried out, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee. Ministering to him among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. There were three women listed here, and two of those go on to be a part of the resurrection story with Matthew that we looked at last week. Mary Magdalene, who was healed by Jesus and followed so tenderly and so compassionately with him. And Mary, the mother of James, who was right there with. They were following along with Jesus, and they were watching what was going on. It says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was... uh, also a disciple of Jesus. This man of Arimathea was going to be there to fulfill prophecy. And uh, this rich man, he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and he laid it in in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Joseph of Arimathea, he was the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus would be laid in a tomb And that it was a tomb that had not been used before, owned by a rich man. And Joseph of Arimathea was that moment. God has a plan in every little detail. Man, as you are facing whatever is going on in your next week here, God has a plan. Moms who just heard that schools across the state of Illinois are absolutely shut down for the rest of the semester, we love you. We are praying for you. God has a plan. And I'm telling you, God's going to be working in the midst of this. May we see his hand at work and may we trust him along the way. We love you. We're praying for you. All the little things in our life to all the big. May we never let them cover over and create a shadow on the truth of the hope that is Jesus Christ. It says that, He got the permission from Pilate to take Jesus' body and wrap him in a shroud and place him in this new tomb that was covered by rock. And it says, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb. And he rolled a great stone. Everybody say great. Great, right? Don't miss that. Might have missed the uptake. Everybody say great. Say it loud. Say it big. Great. Like that's a huge deal. This is a massive stone that Joseph had rolled in front of. He was in charge of getting it shut down. It took many to get it in front of the tomb. And it was absolutely important that this be known as a great stone that was impossible to just slightly push away in any way. Matthew is taking away a lot of the doubt about Jesus being risen from the dead with that simple adjective. It was a great stone at the entrance of the tomb says, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. And again, just so we're clear, Matthew is taking away any question like, well, maybe they got the wrong tomb. I mean, maybe they didn't understand where Jesus was actually buried. And so when they went back, it was empty and it was just empty because they had the wrong tomb. And Matthew's like, no, they were there. They were witnesses. They saw it. They were aware of it. They knew exactly where Jesus was buried. 
And three days later, when they came back, Jesus was risen from the dead and the tomb was empty and an angel brought another thunderous earthquake and this simple message, he is risen from the dead. And all of God's people said, man, man, don't miss it. We have life in him. We have hope in him. We have our sin forgiven. We have the privilege to come to him and relate to him and laugh with him and have his glory present in our soul as we work with him in the midst of our tough times. Jesus Christ, he is our hope and we can be in awe of him as the son of God. It says he had rolled this great stone in front and the women knew exactly where it was. It says the next day, that is after the day of preparation, just a little Jewish moment here, okay? So the way the Passover works is at the end of it, coming up to Passover, there is now a day of preparation that was both for Passover and for Sabbath as those aligned here. And so you have them preparing the meal and all the stuff. That's the lamb that would be sacrificed as a part of this Passover meal, right? Part of the Passover meal was remembering back to this story in Egypt. And there's this lamb and this lamb's blood that gets put on the doorpost. And it's signifying that there would be a lamb to come who would be our hope. There would be our reason for God's wrath to pass over us. And they're going to this Passover moment. The preparation day was getting all of it ready. The drink, the food, and all of it to celebrate that God does save and pass over. God knows exactly what he's doing. And that Passover feast was designed from centuries before to be pointing to the time where the Messiah would be our Passover lamb. Behold the lamb. It says that this day of preparation, the chief priests, the day after it, this is now the Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, sir, we remember how that imposter said that he will still be alive. That imposter, that's their view of Jesus Christ. That imposter, they've seen all the miracles, they've seen all the words, they've seen everything take place. Why do they feel like he's an imposter? Because their expectations are not being met the way they wanted them met for it to be the Messiah. And don't miss it. Your expectations of how you look at your God and how you long for him to do certain things in your life can dramatically impact your worship. Be cautious with your expectation. Theirs, they came to the conclusion, he's an imposter. He says, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Are you hearing what's happening? They were 100% clear that Jesus said, I will die on a cross and three days later rise from the dead. And they're like, we got to do everything we can to stop that. Please hear me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came into this world to go to that cross and he went to the cross that three days later he might rise again. And there was nothing the chief priest could do to stop God's plan. And all of God's people said, amen, man. It says here, Pilate's response, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. 
He ended up establishing, the chief priest did, establishing a guard at the tomb so that Jesus could not be mistakenly, supposedly risen from the dead when it wasn't real. Here's the catch. The real is coming. And that's what we looked at last week at Easter. That same guard was the one that was standing there when the angels came, when the, that large angel came and the thunderous earthquake and he moved the stone back and he sat on the stone, said to the ladies, don't be afraid, but didn't say anything to the guard. This is that guard. That guard, a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the empty tomb, a witness to the angel. And absolutely, there was certainty as Matthew is recording this saying, I'm telling you this, Jesus Christ, he is the son of God. He came to carry judgment. He died and he rose and we have hope because of him and we have life because of him. Man, there is now not only a blood-stained cross, he is the Passover lamb. There is also the empty tomb and we can take hold. Not just in some vague spiritual sense, but in your today right now, whatever you have going on. Being able to say, I set down my struggles. Lord, my expectations are being dashed and I'm handing them to you. And I am falling to my knees and I am taking hold. May you get all the glory. And may we hand him our struggles. I just put some words down here and I just want us to walk through these together at the end before we go to a close song. And so we've got some words we're going to walk. I'm going to say a phrase, but I want you to say one word out loud. You just say, behold, right? Say it loud, say it big. Behold. All right, you missed the uptake, so say it louder, say it bigger. Behold. Get ready. You're going to need to say it even louder and bigger than that after each phrase. Here we go. Ready? One more time. What are you going to say? Behold. Here we go. Behold the lamb. Behold, right? Behold my ransom. Behold. Behold my sin covered. Behold. Behold my access to God. Behold, right? Behold my resurrection hope. Behold. Behold the Son of God. Behold. And lastly, once again, behold the Lamb. Everybody just say that phrase with me. Behold the lamb. Man, please hear me. We come to him and we take hold of him because we have sin forgiven, because we have access and privilege, because we have the Holy Spirit taking up residence, because he is the son of God risen from the dead and he brings awe. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.